Hello, and welcome to Bostonian Rap. My name is Rachel Meiselman, and we're going to jump right on into it. Uh, but before we do, we're going to go to a quick disclaimer, and then we'll come right on back. The following commentary does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to Boston Neighborhood Network, 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Massachusetts, 02119. To arrange a time for your own commentary, you can call WBCA at 617-708-3241, or you can email radio at bnntv.org. Hello, and welcome back. So again, my name is Rachel Meiselman. You're listening to me on Bostonian Rap, and this is WBCALP 102.9 FM Boston, Boston's community radio station. So I want to start off by setting the tone. So I've been doing this for so many years now, and back in the day, what I used to do is start every show with a quotation, a quotation that would set the tone, that would give the listeners an indication of sorts, you know, where I was going. And I think I'll probably reintroduce that. But what I'll do for today is I'll use uh, an expression, a rather hackneyed expression, (laughs) um, But hopefully uh, what follows is a relatively uh, fresh perspective. Uh, I guess all of you listening will be the judge of that. But we talk about, what is it, the milk of human kindness, right? The milk of human kindness. That's what we talk about. And we talk about it in particular at this time of the year. So Christmas is is just behind us. Uh, Hanukkah ended on Monday night, and today is uh, Kwanzaa has started. And one would think, one would hope that people would just be nicer, more considerate, maybe take an extra few seconds before responding and saying something that is less than kind. Nah, uh-uh. Mm-mm. <laughs> no, not at all. And I was just talking to someone about this, you know, and I and I prefaced what I was about to say. I prefaced uh, my little, I don't want to really call it a rant because that's not what it was, but my little, you know, my little, I don't know if you want to call it like an elevator speech, but my little like blah, blah, blah. By saying, oh, I'm probably dating myself, and I probably was, because, again, at this time of the year, years ago, when I was growing up, when I was in my 20s, even when I was in my 30s, there was this idea, didn't need to really be expressed, it was just understood, that regardless of one's faith, or maybe, you know, you know, maybe... You know, we're talking about someone who is 
atheistic. It it just it, it uh, atheist. Uh, you know, it didn't really matter uh, a believer or an atheist, uh, a believer in maybe Islam, a believer in Hinduism, a believer in Catholicism, Protestantism, uh, Judaism. It just didn't matter because people just they understood that it was the time of the year or it was part of the culture i think even where people just really took some time out from thinking about themselves and thought about other people what another person might be feeling what another person might be experiencing or struggling with we don't do that anymore and that's that's really a shame and I, I, I mean, I did see some posts from some politicians, you know, that, you know, it was, but it was more perfunctory, but it was kind of along the lines of this can be a difficult time of the year. If you're having problems, reach out. I saw a few politicians that highlighted that issue, but of the different people that put a spotlight on this problem, this very real problem, actually, uh, <laughs> there was only like maybe a handful, if that, whom I would reach out to if, say, I were having problems of that nature at this time of the year. It's, I think it's tied in with, Mental health issues, I do. Let me explain. I think that being nice and taking an extra few seconds to think before you open up your mouth, it's, it's important because it's imagining how someone else might feel. It's actually thinking about the impact, acknowledging the impact that you can have on somebody else, you know, someone else's day or how someone might feel at, you know, a particular point in time. And it could be a fleeting feeling, but still acknowledging that you can have an impact on, on someone for however long and and determining that you do what you can so that that impact can be a positive one. I think that it is tied to mental health because when when we're talking, especially in earnest, about being good to other people and about being compassionate and considerate or just plain old polite, we do it because again, at this time of the year, we also associate Christmas and Hanukkah and Kwanzaa with being with loved ones and, and friends and warmth and peace. And again, not everyone ex- experiences that. Not everyone has the privilege of knowing that at this time of the year. And because of the expectations that surround the holidays, that we're supposed to be kinder, 
or that we're supposed to just be joyful, it can weigh more heavily on someone who's having problems at other times of the year. It's not like if you're having problems, if you're under stress or if you're just feeling a little bit down or discouraged, you're trying to do something that's particularly uh, difficult. Yes, and yeah, you're feeling discouraged, a little, I might not even go as far as to say despondent, but yeah, discouraged is a good word. It's not like there is a parenthesis, like there's not a break that happens at this time of the year. So again, it's, it's not always an easy time of the year, to, to say the very least. And, 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 and what I just said, that's, that's for me how I make the connection between that and, and mental health. And I've, I've spoken a lot about mental health issues, and I, I want to speak a lot more, much more than, than what I already do, because I think that I hope that I have something to say. Uh, my background is not in uh, psychology or psychiatry. I don't have any medical background, but I like to think of myself as an observer. In a day and age where people are quick to jump in front of a microphone or a camera, I am most comfortable uh, sitting back and observing. And I think that the United States, America, it's its a wonderful country. It's a wonderful place. But whether we're talking about locally here in Boston, statewide, you know, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, or the country, the United States of America, I don't think that we have a very good grip on addressing our mental health. And a lot of times, even when we talk about taking care of ourselves, taking care of our emotional well-being, taking care of our mental health, that immediately flags up to someone and it could be completely erroneous, but it immediately flags up to someone that the person who who voiced a concern or shared that he or she is having issues, it it says to the to to the listener, well, this person must must be in trouble. This person must really need to speak with someone. This person must uh, really need to put together a course of action, maybe talk to loved ones and friends before it's too late. And that's not always the case. And I think that we need to look at mental health the same way we look at physical health. I... You know, I've talked about this. I did a, an episode of Bostonian Rap um, upstairs in the upstairs studio. Uh, so it was uh, television. And I, you know, again, I said I'm no expert, but just 
Me, myself, how I manage stress, I like to go for a walk. Uh, you know, just getting out there, being in nature, going for a walk in the woods, walking by a lake, um, being around water, because I, I'm, a, I'm very much uh, uh, a water enthusiast. I, I love the water. I, I think that I think that water, being around water, and I think it has tremendous therapeutic possibilities. And that's something I'll talk about at length at another point in time. But these were some of the tips that I gave. And I also talked about animals, being around animals. Animals are wonderful because they don't care what you look like. They don't care how much money you have in the bank. They don't care what you do for a living. They don't care how old you are. They just give you unconditional love. And I think that that, if we had more of that, I mean, obviously the, the, there are some instances where you have to, I don't know, maybe show tough love or you have to set boundaries. I think in general you have to set boundaries, but but still the, this this idea of unconditional love, we could, we humans, we could come up with our version of it, uh, I think, and, and I think that would be greatly beneficial. Uh, this idea about just giving love and giving understanding, just like animals do, right? But yes, I want to talk about mental health more, not just about what we can do, just tips, you know, just as a member of Joe Q Public, because I think that in this culture, we don't take care of mental health, as I said in this televised episode, until there's an issue. And I believe, I'm, I'm very pragmatic, I always say that, I mean, if there's any one word in the dictionary that describes me, I would definitely have to say that it's pragmatic. And being a daughter of pragmatism, I'm going to say that it's much easier to maintain, to engage in maintenance than having to treat a crisis or crises. So what do I mean by that? Well, Again, we go for an annual checkup, or at least we should, right? Well, I think that we should have an, some kind of annual checkup, you know, in regard to our, our mental health, our, our emotional well-being. It's just, it's very important. It's, it's important to manage our stress in a healthy way. It's, it's, it's important to deal with trauma. And I almost hesitate to use the word trauma because it's been so abused, that word. And I'm very much against verbal inflation, the idea of just taking words and using them indiscriminately. And because they're being used indiscriminately, after a while, they completely lose meaning. I think that's a tragedy of sorts, I really do, because I think it's a way of killing the language. 
But trauma, trauma, there really is such a thing as trauma. There are instances which there there is trauma, and, and it needs to be addressed. And, and it's difficult because when you're talking about traumatic situations, you're talking about episodes or periods in one's life where the person who's suffering might not know how to communicate or might be afraid to communicate his or her trauma. So that makes it even more difficult. But I think if we had a culture where we didn't make assumptions and if there weren't real stigma attached to talking about emotional issues, I think that maybe victims who have experienced horrific episodes or periods in their lives, they would feel a little bit better. It would still be quite difficult, I I have no doubt, but there would be a little bit more ease, maybe, if you will, in coming forward and and, and sharing with the appropriate people, uh, with people that could help, uh, what exactly happened. So... I think that, yes, we need to be kinder at this time of the year, but I I certainly think that it's something we can do at other times of the year as well. It's not like people only need kindness at this time of the year. I've often argued about people who volunteer in shelters. There are uh, a couple of shelters one in particular that I've volunteered, I have volunteered in a lot over the years. It's in Harvard Square in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And holidays like Thanksgiving and Christmas, they have plenty of volunteers. They have tons of volunteers because people want that feeling, if you will. They want that Oh, I did something good. And and I'm not trying to detract or diminish what people are trying to do. But I remember thinking on more than one occasion, you know, there are other nights during the year where the shelters need help as well. You know, this shelter or another shelter or shelters in general. And it's it's the same thing. I'm going to come back to this idea about human kindness, the milk of human kindness, being compassionate, being considerate. We we need to do that on a regular basis. It's not, the, this year is not somehow uh, 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 an exceptional time of the year that requires compassion. We should always try to be compassionate. And I think that it, it's... Being considerate, like I said, even being just polite at, at just, you know, on the most fundamental level, um, showing respect toward others, I think that that does make a difference. Um, that can make a difference in how people feel about themselves, how they may manage stress, how they... Uh, 
you know, perceive themselves and and what they feel like they're capable of doing. So I, I think it's all kind of interconnected. I'm not a big fan or I've never been a big believer in the idea that things happen and it's isolated or we have phenomena and the phenomena are isolated. I I think that everything is somehow interconnected, however closely. And, and, and I think that we need to kind of step back and, and acknowledge that and, and, and see what we can do better. Now, what I'm going to do now is we'll go to, <laughs> don't want to get too deep or philosophical, but I, I think that uh, mental health and, and what we can do to take better care of ourselves, I think that that's important. And I'll just kind of throw this out, out there. The, the Dutch have something, uh, this concept, this idea where they just do nothing. And I've I've been to the Netherlands a few times, and anyone who knows me actually knows me knows that I I love 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 the Netherlands, and without knowing about this this idea idea that they have this concept, I found myself doing nothing. I did a lot of sleeping and just relaxing, and I can imagine people saying, "Well." Didn't you take advantage of your time there to, 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 you know, go to museums and, you know, do other kinds of sightseeing and, and, and go to, like, spots where you can maybe interact with the locals? I mean, I did some sightseeing, but it was really a period for me just to kind of be someplace where... I didn't have to worry about walking down the street and someone, hey, Rachel, not that I'm famous, but sometimes I feel like in Boston, it really is a place where everyone knows your name. <laughs> it's not just in Cheers. It's <laughs> I feel like it's all of Boston. So it, it was just really nice being someplace where you just can kind of just go about your business. No one knows you. And, and I didn't have a schedule because I, you know, I was on vacation. I wasn't at work. So if I wanted to sleep in later, I could. If I wanted to take an extra long time eating, I could. If I wanted to go for a walk and spend an extra 45 minutes to an hour doing it, I could. And I think that taking, having experiences like that can be quite beneficial. And I found that I was much better for it. And I remember coming back and, and like taking a look in the mirror and like saying, who is that? I looked completely refreshed and, and just, just, I look great. And then within two weeks, you know, <laughs> but whatever. I mean, at least, at least for, for a brief period, I, I looked amazing. <laughs> um, so let's go to a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to switch it up. We're going to talk about one of my favorite topics, the Massachusetts Republican Party, or should I say the Jim Lyons Social Club. But first, let's go to, <laughs> let's go to uh, a few quick uh, commercials. 
it's time for today's STEM tip. Okay, you know recycling is important. No one wants plastic in the ocean. Here's a cool way to repurpose a plastic bottle. Build an awesome terrarium. Cut a large plastic bottle in half and fill the base with sand, pebbles, potting soil, and your favorite plant. I chose an African violet. Put the top of the bottle over your base and place it in the sun. Your plant will grow sealed in its own ecosystem. Fun, right? Learn more at She Can STEM. A message from the Ad Council. If you are struggling to afford internet service for your household, there is a new government program that may be able to help. It's called the Affordable Connectivity Program, and it provides up to a $30 monthly discount to qualifying households. Find more information about the program, including if you qualify and how to enroll at FCC.gov ACP or call toll-free at 877-384-2575. That's 877-384-2575. You took the first step and quit smoking, but even former smokers may still be at risk for lung cancer. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know about a new low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early. It takes only 60 seconds and could save your life. You took the first step, now take the next. Visit SaveByTheScan.org for a simple quiz to see if you're eligible and talk to your doctor about screening. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. Hello, and welcome back to Bostonian Rap. My name is Rachel Meiselman, and you are listening to me on WBCALP 102.9 FM Boston. This is Boston's community radio station. So I want to, like I said, move on to another topic. I want to talk about uh, the Massachusetts Republican Party. Again, I use that phrase uh, for lack of, of, a, of a better one, really, um, because we don't really have a party. And it's it's not just down to Jim Lyons. I've been talking at length, at length rather, um, for weeks now, for months, about the state of things, and it's pretty grim. We've actually been a one-party state for quite some time. I'll never forget, and I've shared this story before, but I'm going to share it again because for me, it really, it kind of underlined the urgency of the situation then. Fast forward like six or seven years. So it was, I think it was about, yeah, it was about six years ago. And I was working on an educated, uh, I'm sorry, an an education-related issue. And my view happened to be in line with a lot of progressives. Interestingly, I thought that the progressives actually had a more conservative position than a lot of my fellow Republicans uh, more than a lot, most of my fellow Republicans. So it was was in regard to charter schools. And my position had been that I think charter schools are wonderful. I think they're great. But I didn't support the idea of lifting the cap. Not at the time, because 
I believe in addressing issues. I don't believe in kicking the can down the road. And lifting the cap allowed people a get-out-of-jail-for-free card. And I just didn't—I couldn't—I couldn't co-sign that. The issues, obviously, that plague— the public school system, the the more, you know, what we consider the more traditional public schools, they're not going to be resolved overnight. But they're never going to be resolved if we just create new schools and then just say, well, we can just send the kids here. Uh, we can just send students there. Because I'll tell you what will happen are the problems that existed in the traditional public schools, if, if we were to do such a thing, they'll just be transferred to the charter schools in time. And, and, and I think a very short amount of time. So at the time, I, again, I aligned myself with progressives who took a more pragmatic, conservative stance on this issue. And, you know, everyone there knew I was a Republican. And there was one woman who who said to me, she said, Rachel, you know, you may think that we're happy about the state of the Republican Party in the state, but we're not. And what she meant and the look she gave me, I won't forget it. I won't forget the tone of her voice. What she meant is it's, we want to hear different ideas. Even if we don't agree with them, we want to know that there are other ideas out there. We want, you know, what she was saying, she wants that push and pull. She wants someone to debate. She wants to hear someone else say something that's different, that may even be completely antithetical to what she's saying, to what she's thinking. But by her listening to it, not just hearing, but listening to it, it challenges her. So some people might say, well, maybe she's not really a progressive. Okay, I mean, all right, progressive, liberal, I, you know, but she was definitely, she's definitely someone on the political left. But she just, she was, she was sad. She was sad about the state of the Republican Party. And, of course, at the time, what, we have a Republican governor, we have a popular uh, Republican chairman, Kirsten Hughes, But I got her. I understood her because it is sad. It's very sad. And people who have views that are more in line with conser- uh, Republican uh, core values, because, you know, you don't necessarily have to be a conservative to be a Republican. What choice, what options do people have? They don't. And anyone who's listening, if you don't think 
that that impacts someone's quality of life, then you don't know what you're talking about. That is, if you were actually going to give voice, you were going to actually utter what you're thinking. Not feeling represented, not feeling like you have a voice, not feeling like people accord you respect just for being a person, even if you don't share the same views as maybe most of the other people in the room have, that's, all of that is important. People need to be heard. I can't underline, I can't stress that enough. It is so important for people to be heard. I've lost track of the number of situations, non-political in my life, where I've been able to de-escalate a situation. And I'm not saying I'm so great because I don't think I am. But just listening to people and hearing what they're saying and hearing, listening to their grievance, listening. I want to stress that listening as opposed to hearing, right? Listening to what they're saying, listening to their grievance, it's made a difference in so many different instances. Really, it has. So being the minority voice in the room, and I'm not talking about, obviously, in terms of color, but in terms of perspective, and still being, and still knowing, feeling that you've been heard, that you've been respected, or that you are respected, All of this, it's so important. There have been Republicans, active, very active Republicans that have left this state because they didn't feel like their voices were being heard. They want to see a Republican in office. They want to see more Republicans. And as I said, as I started this this point, I, you know, I started it with an anecdote of someone who's not a Republican, not in any way conservative as a rule, but still wants to see a vibrant Republican party. You know, just because Charlie Baker has been go- the governor— That doesn't mean everything was fine. (laughs) The numbers were still pitiful. I mean, we point to how the percentage of Republicans in this state has dropped below 10%. But if we look at the numbers before Jim Lyons took over, it's not like they were wonderful. And... Let me say something. I'm not trying to denigrate Kirsten Hughes, the the chairman before Jim Lyons, because I actually like Kirsten very much. There have been times where I have not at all been happy with Kirsten. Um, I'm sure there were times. I'm actually pretty positive that there have been times where she has not been happy with me. But 
I just have to say that in, at the end of the day, I just, I still really like her. I met her uh, 14 years ago. Uh, Kirsten Hughes, uh, very, she's always been very active in the party uh, since she was a child, actually. Uh, since she was about 12, 12 years old, uh, she started volunteering then. Um, but I met her in 2008. She was one of the chairs of uh, the McCain campaign here in Boston. And uh, I just, I think she's adorable. I think she's absolutely adorable. I don't mean that in a condescending way. I mean it, yes, I think she, she's attractive, but it's, 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 it's her looks, but it's also her personality. She's just very likable. She's very approachable. She's very accessible. And for someone that is so steeped in politics, I find her more genuine than most. And I, I think that that's quite a trick to be able to hang on to 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 being accessible when when you are traveling when you do run in those circles but i think she's absolutely adorable i think that she um is accomplished uh i think she's worked hard for what she has i i mean i don't i mean she's i mean one could speculate, why don't I phrase it like this? One could speculate that she has benefited uh, from her involvement in politics, that it's helped her professionally. Perhaps, uh, but she wouldn't be the only one. And again, I think that she is accomplished and talented in her own right in different areas. And I think that, uh, I, I, I do think uh, that Kirsten knows what it means to earn something. I do think that. I do believe that, really. And with Kirsten, I'll be blunt. I I also didn't have to worry about, well, what is she going to say? Like, what what is she going to say that's embarrassing? Kirsten, no one has to sit Kirsten down and explain to her that people of color are not interchangeable. I mean, some of the things that I have heard and, 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 and been privy to since Jim Lyons has taken over. It's, it's absolutely unreal. But when Kirsten was there, it was, she, she, she's comfortable. You can, you can see it and you can feel it. She's comfortable with interacting with a wide variety of people. And I mean, obviously, <laughs> I, I mean, I obviously like her very much. And you know, for anyone listening uh, that actually, again, knows me, I have to say that. I have to throw this out there. Uh, I don't, so that, like I speak highly of everybody. And if I like someone, I say it. If I don't like someone, I also, I also say that. But yeah, if I like someone, I say it. So this isn't, you know, I'm not, there's no end game. There's no, I just really like Kirsten. She's, She's adorable. She's, you know, she she can be fun. She's and she's accessible. I think she could have been because of those qualities. I think she could have been more successful if she didn't have to operate within the rigid 
infrastructure that has been in place. I, so, I mean, what I'm going to say is that notwithstanding someone that I think was a good share, a decent share, I think that um, we've just been, we've been in trouble for a long time. Let's go back even further, pre-Kirsten. I remember after Scott Brown got elected, he won, you know, it was like, how did he do that? He won, and he became a superstar. And I remember seeing all these Republicans take pictures with him, and I remember thinking to myself, wow, everything is revolving around Scott. And you you have all these people, regardless of what they're running for, it's Scott, Scott, Scott. And 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 I wasn't thinking this, there wasn't any resentment. And at the time, I still very much supported Scott Brown and, you know, the people around him. But I did remember noticing that and, and thinking somewhere that it can't all be about one person. You know, it, it, when he won, that really gave people hope. And I don't think Scott Brown ever really understood that. And over the years, because I supported Scott Brown heavily, um, over the years, my support has, it's just like, it's at this point, it's like, it's not existing non-existent uh, for either him or his team. There are still a few people like Kirsten um, that I, I hold in very high regard. But, you know, as for Scott Brown himself and a lot of his team, I'm just like, yeah, I'm all, I'm all set. Thanks. Because, again, I don't think he ever really appreciated how much hope he gave to his fellow Republicans in Massachusetts, while he was still in Massachusetts, uh, how much hope he gave. People said, wow, if, if Scott can win, I can too. And, 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 and it wasn't meant as, oh my God, Scott Brown won? Well, if he won, I could win. No, it was, wow, a Republican can win. I mean, maybe I can do this. You know, maybe I have a shot. Maybe You know what? I'm going to try. And that was a beautiful thing to see. But my problem, again, was that it was all, it all, it came down to one person. So for years, first it was Scott Brown. Once Charlie Baker won, it became Charlie Baker. You can't have a viable party and everything revolves around one person. That's not a viable party. That's a club. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's like a, it's a group, but, but it's not a political party. It's, I mean, I, I know what some people are thinking. They might be able to point to political parties in other parts of the world or even right here in the States uh, where... You have like a person 
who, you know, maybe founded a party, founded a movement, uh, you know, because we can talk about political parties and movements. But even then, for those parties or movements to thrive, to survive, to flourish, to grow, that one person has to spread the wealth, so to speak. And Charlie Baker really didn't do any of that. And of course, Scott Brown didn't either. Now, someone listening to me who might like Charlie a whole heck of a lot, and that's cool, that's fine. You can love him. I, don't, I mean, I that that doesn't offend me. This isn't about disparaging Charlie Baker. It's it's about being honest. And I think given the state of the Republican Party, we need to have a little bit of an honest, intellectually honest discussion. He did not do anything to grow the party. Everything was about Charlie. So then what did that yield? Well, that meant that as long as Charlie was going to run for governor, he was safe. Everything was put in to preserving Charlie Baker, his seat as governor, and, you know, of course, Karen Polito as lieutenant governor, and feeding into the narrative that Charlie Baker was this wonderfully popular governor. Everything was put into that. To heck with, you know, town committees, uh, city committees, wards, especially in this part of the state. I mean, there's no excuse. And so, again, someone might be listening, a really big Charlie Baker fan, and might say, you know what, Rachel, I'm sorry, but I don't, I really don't agree with what you're saying there. And I don't, quite frankly, I don't really particularly like it. Again, I would be fine with that. And what I would say in response, yes, I'm fine with that. I respect that. Thank you for at least, you know, interacting with me civilly as much as you may dislike what I have to say. But then I would also say, not to be antagonistic, but I would say, well, when Charlie Baker tried to get people elected or give people a boost, how did he do? Charlie Baker didn't get anyone elected. I mean, he was most notably involved or uh, supportive of Anthony Amore, who uh, was running for state auditor. Anthony Amore got, what, 37, 38% of the vote? I mean... (laughs) He, he, there were other people that Charlie Baker tried to support or did support, rather. Uh, he uh, supported Alan Fung in Rhode Island. It, I mean, none of the candidates that he supported that he endorsed did well. And this isn't a reflection on the candidates. And again, I'm not saying this to disparage Charlie, but you can't have a political party and it be just about one person. Because of what the Republican Party did and because of the framework in which the leadership 
just not just, you know, the chair, but just others, you know, together, collectively chose to operate in, within, we just, we weren't really, a, we haven't been a party, a real political party for some time. So Charlie Baker's seat was, would have been safe had he run for a third term. And, and, and that's about it. And actually, he might not have won the primary. There is that. He might not have actually won the primary. But in, ter- in terms of being able to, to, to win the general, if he could have made it through the primary, and again, that's not sure, oh, yeah, he would, he, he would have been fine. You know, I'm tired of hearing Republicans talk about, well, we need a reset. That's what Amy Carnevale has said. We need a reset. Hey, lady, we need a lot more than a reset. We don't have a party. And I've said that. I've made that comment. I haven't been shy. So then she's she's kind of pivoted. Now she's talking about rebuilding. Well, rebuilding suggests that I don't like, I like that word better than reset. Because rebuild goes, I think, a lot further in acknowledging that we have a big problem. But it also suggests that there was something in place before. And there hasn't been anything in place in quite some time. You know, another big issue, you can't ignore whole chunks of the state and expect to be competitive. Look, I understand if there are limited resources And so you obviously want to shore up support in places where you have a decent shot or a good shot of getting seats. I get that. But that's not an excuse to ignore completely Boston and and the great, you know, the greater Boston area, uh, the 7th Congressional District, uh, and, and, and the adjacent congressional districts, that just that's just not possible. And I mean, quite honestly, you know, we have another like uh, we have another like five minutes to go here, five five and a half minutes. I can really kind of slide into the other points I want to make, and and that's when we don't have a party. When we don't really have coherent messaging, we have a lot of pretenders who show up. There's a vacuum in power, and a lot of people say, well, I can fill that. Step forward, Rayla Campbell. I, I, kid, I, I kid people not. I saw, uh, I saw uh, there was, there's a group core, you know, they, you know, a group uh, that, you know, they 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 fight, you know. They fight to protect, you know, our rights, our inherent rights. Yeah, whatever. You know, so she was speaking at their Christmas party, and she went on and on and on and on and on and on and on. She finally, at the end, talked about you know what she wanted. You know, well. You know, let, we're going to take over. I'm going to take over with your help. Well, politics is about people. 
Isn't that something? It's about people, right? And even politicians that aren't very bright, they understand that if they can get 5, 10, 15, 20 people together, that's something. If you can get 100 people together, oh, okay. If you can get 100,000 people, if you can get, you know, and so on and so forth, right? If you can get a few thousand, it, it, this, this is power because it's going to make other people sit up and say, oh, wait a minute, what's going on over here? We, we might want to, you know, watch uh, Joe and Jane Smith a little bit more closely there because, you know, they got people lining up behind them. And that's why so many politicians are very careful about who they give jobs to, who they even appoint to commissions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, because they don't want anyone who's not going to fall into line to get a foot in the door anywhere. It's a numbers game. And so Rayla thinks, well, if I can get the core people behind me, oh, boy. You have to have a coherent message. You have to know what the core values of the party are. And you have to be willing to understand that if you are the chair, it's not in within your purview to determine who's Republican or not. Not to talk about Kirsten again, adorable Kirsten Hughes, but I'm going to. And one thing she said that will stay with me forever and ever, I said, wow, she, this girl really gets it. There was a debate. when she. This is when she first ran for chair. She said, it's not the chair's job to parse who is a Republican and who is not? I remember that very, very clearly. And she was right. And I'm just, I'm just afraid because it's, it's not looking too good. It's not looking too good. Uh, we might have another, we very well could get another two years with Jim Lyons. And, and that's, that's a shame because... We need, I'll end it with this, we need to have a party where it's not just a group of people who are jealous, jealously hanging on to power. We need to share the wealth, so to speak. On that note, I'm going to say um, good night. <laughs> And I look forward to, as always, hanging out with you next week. Thank you so much for listening. The preceding commentary does not reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or the Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to the Boston Neighborhood Network at 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Mass., 02119. Attention WBCALP 102.9 FM. If you would like to arrange a time for your own commentary, call WBCA at 617-708-3241 or email us at radio at bnntv.org.